This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Matthew chapter 20 is where we were this morning. This is part two of the message, Having a Servant's Heart. Then the mother, verse 20 of chapter 20 of Matthew, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. He said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand, the other on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? which speaking of the suffering that he was going to be going through. And they said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers But Jesus called to them to himself, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him first be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom Uh, for many. And so this morning we began uh, this message on servanthood, and uh, we said that Jesus' philosophy of ministry and service was diametrically opposed not only to this world, but to the religious establishment of his day. Christ says, lose yourself, die to self, submit yourself, humble yourself, give to others, serve others, honor others. And that's not the general case in society. But Christ wants that to be in his church. He said, I'm not come to be served, but to serve. And again and again, he gave many illustrations uh, on service and how to serve and how to serve with the utmost humility, even stooping down to wash his disciples' feet. And then we went on from there to chapter 24 of Genesis. Now, I'm not going to reread that all again tonight. It's the longest chapter in Genesis, as I said this morning. And even though we (laughs) we left a little bit out of it, but it's still very, very long. But for those, perhaps, who's here for the first time today, tonight, or for the very first time, I would encourage you, when you go home, to read that chapter. It'll take you about five minutes or so. Read that chapter, and maybe read it slowly, and get the sense of the servant's heart from Abraham's servant, Eliezer. And, uh, and so, if you're listening by podcast, as others do, then I would encourage you to do the same. Uh, just go over it again, think about it, and think about this wonderful servant, Eliezer, and how he displayed a true, true servant's heart. This morning we looked at attitudes for service. What we said about Eliezer, that he served willingly, 
loyally, lovingly, enthusiastically, wisely, and unselfishly. And so that was illustrated in his journey to find a bride for his master, Isaac, and how he found Rebekah and brought her back again for him to be wed, which was a wonderful thing to do, but it was a very important job because we said this morning that Jesus Christ would come out of that whole lineage. And uh, so it was vitally important that he got that task right, and he did. Tonight, I want to continue and speak, first of all, about avenues of service. There is a multiplicity of ways that we can serve God. Let's not put God in a box. Do not think that the only way to serve is to be in what is euphemistically called full-time service. Whenever I say full-time service, I'm thinking about those who are not in the ordinarily in the everyday workplace, but have come out of that into serving God in, in church service or evangelism or missionary service or whatever. But do not think then that those who are not in this position uh, are not serving God. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, the vast majority of people are not in the so-called full-time ministry. The vast majority of believers all over the world are working in their ordinary, everyday jobs. So we cannot say that they're not serving God. They are only in a different way, in a different place. And so it's vitally important that all of us feel that we are servants of God, that we have found ways to serve the Lord. It is true that in Ephesians 4, it talks about the five-fold ministry. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. But what were they to do to equip the church to serve? And so... This full-time capacity, even if it's the five-fold ministry that I've just mentioned, not all of those are necessarily, quote-unquote, full-time. Some of them are, are bifocational. That means they may be standing in any one of the offices, but they have a other job. They work in the workplace, out in the public square, in the public marketplace. So... Try to get that thought out of your mind so that we are all in the same boat. We all maybe do it differently, have different callings, but we're all called to serve the one God in many, many ways that he will ask us to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul lists uh, a whole lot of ways to serve God. He mentions a whole lot of gifts. Now, these are not the same gifts that he mentions uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, for instance, but other things. And one of them I just want to point out, one of them is helps. It seems such an insignificant little word, but it isn't. Helps. Most people, most believers, one way or another, are involved in the ministry of helps. Helps. In Romans chapter 16, let me just pick this up. Romans chapter 16. The Apostle Paul comes to the end of that great book of Romans, and he, he lists many, many people who helped him in his ministry. And there's lots of them. And he mentions them specifically by name, by their Christian name. But he begins by saying, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church, 
and Centuria. The word servant there is the word that we mentioned this morning, diakonos. And diakonos is where we get the word deacon from. So it looks like that Phoebe was a deaconess in the church. This, this was written from Corinth to the church at Rome. And Censorea was just a port just not far from Corinth. And it looked to be in this church that she was a deaconess. And she had responsibilities, which would be to look after the poor, to feed the hungry, and particularly the young woman within the church, that she would teach them and show them by example and teach them how to live life. And so she was a very responsible, <coughs> capable woman. And it was Phoebe, by the way, who took this letter, the book of Romans, to Rome to give to the church in Rome, to the believers there. So she didn't specifically go for that, but Paul, knowing she was going, got her to take this dictated letter uh, to Rome, to the church at Rome. So perhaps she was in business. Maybe she had business to do there, but she went there anyway. So he said to the church at Rome, he says, that you may receive her in the Lord and a money worthy of, this, worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Now the word helper there, uh, helps is different shades of meaning in scripture. And the word helper here means a sucker, a sucker, somebody who had a, had, a, had a ministry of helping people, of putting the arm around, of ministering to, of befriending, of encouraging, of doing all of that. That's what she was like, a ministry of helps. And Paul says, she's one of the ones that was a great help to me, as, many, as well as to many others. It's interesting that the name Phoebe is the Greek moon god Artemis. And that's, that's most people in those days, rather than call, Artemis called it Phoebe. And, and that's what Phoebe means. It means the, the moon goddess. And <laughs> this moon goddess, it was supposed to be by the light of the moon. This god, the goddess was seen by the light of the moon. But this Phoebe became a believer in Christ and it was the light of the world who shone upon her. And she was seen by the light of the world. And that's what made the difference. So this word succor or helper is prostatus. And prostatus means one who stands by in the case of need. One who stands by in the case of need. And in those days in Greek Society, it actually meant a trainer of the Greek Olympiads. Every athlete in the Olympics had their own trainer, somebody who was standing by to help, to encourage, to teach, to instruct, to inspire, to help. And so this Phoebe was like that. That was her ministry, a ministry of helps to encourage, to inspire, to lift up, to teach, to motivate, to do all of that. And so there's a, a ministry of helps that many, many people can do. Some of you are like that. You are encouragers. You're helpers. You come alongside. You put an arm around. You want the best for people, and you lift them up. 
That's what Phoebe was like. And then in Acts 16, Acts 16, uh, there's this lovely lady called Lydia. Lydia. In verse 6 of Acts 16, now when they, this is Paul and Silas and Timothy, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And Asia there is Asia Minor, which was a number of provinces and territories that were there, including Lydia, the area Lydia. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Which seemed odd at the time, because Paul's heart was to go there. That's where his passion lay. He wanted to reach those unreached people in Asia Minor. That's why he stretched out further in evangelism as an apostle going out there. But then the Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go there. But look what happens. And so passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. And as a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us now. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, it was beginning to make a little bit more sense now. He was saying, Aha, now I know why the Spirit didn't want me to go to Bithynia and all those places in Asia Minor. He wants me to go to Macedonia. But he still hasn't got the full picture yet. And so, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothraci. Next day we came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost part of that part of Macedonia, a colony, a Roman colony, this is. That was by a two or three day journey by sea. It was about 150 <laughs> miles. So it was quite a journey. And we staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Theatara, who worshipped God. And if it says that she worshipped God, that means then that somewhere along the line, she started to worship the true and living God. She must have embraced Judaism because they were the only ones who was worshiping the true and living God. And so she's a proselyte. She's come into the, uh, the, the faith of Judaism. And then it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So he preached the gospel to them, told them about Jesus Christ, told them about the cross, the resurrection. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, so obviously they believed, came to Christ in faith. She begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, isn't it amazing that the Holy Spirit stops Paul going to the very place where she came from? And so for a time, the Holy Spirit was bypassing that whole region where this woman came from. And at the same time, she didn't know that when she would leave there and go to Philippi in Macedonia, that that's where she would meet Christ. 
And Paul didn't know when the Holy Spirit forbid him to go there that he made that long journey to Philippi to see a man of Macedonia and instead he met a woman from Lydia. The ways of God are past finding out. God knows what he's doing. And there the two of them met by the riverside. And the first European convert was Lydia. We owe our Christian existence here to Lydia from Thyatira. And she was a businesswoman, a seller of purple. Purple was a very special dye from that area that she came from. And, and when they dyed the clothes with it, the Romans loved the color. They loved this dye. It was a fast dye, a beautiful color. And so she must have moved to Philippi thinking, well, I could make a killing here because it's a Roman colony and I could do well. And she did do well. And she was very wealthy. She was very clever. Uh, she was, <laughs> I tell you, she was, she was some womanness. And she had a household and she had a house and she had servants. She had all that. She was very wealthy. Made herself very wealthy. But God got the two of them together, Paul and Lydia. And out of that was born the church in Europe, of which we have received a blessing even to this very day. But notice at the end, she had the ministry of hospitality. Please stay. She begged him, please stay. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this. I've got a big house. I've got servants. I've got food. I've got everything you need. Please stay. But this time it looks as if Luke had joined the the trio, so there's four of them at least. So there was quite a bunch of them. And so she had that ministry of hospitality. So there's another ministry. There's another way of serving God, is opening up her homes, uh, opening up, using her cars to bring people to church, whatever it may be, being gracious, being friendly, being welcoming. All these things are ministries of helps. And in Exodus 17, we don't need to turn to this. You know that the Amalekites and the Israelites were fighting in this valley. And Moses said to Aaron, to her, he says, I'm going to go up here on the, up on the mountain and I'm going to hold that staff out. And as long as I hold that staff out, then God is going to cause us to defeat the Amalekites. And sure enough, he went up the mountain, he held the staff out. And while he held it out, the Amalekites were being defeated. But then when he got a little bit tired and he dropped, the staff, then the Amalekites were winning against the Israelites. And so Aaron and Hur, when they saw he was really, really tired, they put him to sit on a stone, and then they held up his two hands while he held out the staff. That's ministry of helps. There may be people that need their hands held up in prayer. There may be people who need their hands held up in encouragement, and you may be the one to hold up their hands. That's all they need, just somebody to hold up their hands when they're going through a really, really difficult time. Sometimes you don't have to say a lot, just be there to hold them up, to hold up their hands. In Acts 27, 17, the Apostle Paul is a prisoner on board that ship with many other prisoners going to Rome to appear in front of Caesar. And you remember the great storm that blew up and it looked as if they were all going to lose their lives. And they began to throw everything overboard that they thought they could do without to make the ship lighter. But the ship was really being tossed and rocked and smashed against the waves. And it looked as if the whole thing was just going to fall apart. So, it says they, when you read that there, it says they, they put cables underneath the ship. Remember, these are wooden ships. So they put cables underneath. In the King James, it says, helps is the word they used. 
The new King James, it's cables. And actually it was frapping, frapping, which was basically ropes that they put around in order to try to keep the thing together. And so the ministry of helps plays an awful big part in any church to hold things together, to make things work, to keep things stable. This church, in fact, no church could exist without the ministry of helps. When you come through that door Sunday morning, the heat's on, the lights are on, somebody's there shaking your hand. When you come up here, there's people on the sound desk, there's people doing the cameras. There's a whole bunch of singers, musicians here. The floor is clean. The chairs are perfectly in line. The Sunday school downstairs is all set out for Sunday school. Everything's ready. The communion table is laid out. Everything is ready for us. But somebody had to do that. And somebody does it every single week. And you may come in and just take that for granted. You may think that just suddenly, magically happened on Saturday night at 12 o'clock. But it didn't. That's the ministry of helps. And if that wasn't done, and you came here Sunday morning, and these chairs was everywhere, and there was dirt all over the floor, and the toilets were stinking, and the towels were ringing, and there was no musicians or singers, what would you think? That's a mess. I'm not going to go back to that place. But that doesn't happen. Why? Because the ministry of helps. So there's always something needing done, always something can be done. Daniel, Joseph, Nehemiah. These were people who served the purpose of God in what could be termed a secular job, even though they were in captivity. Remember Daniel, how he served several kings. He was in the palace serving several kings. And how that Joseph, we mentioned him briefly this morning, how that he is a captive, how he served Potiphar, his master. And Nehemiah, how he is a captive to Artaxerxes. And when he, when he heard the reports coming back about Jerusalem, the state that it was in, and how it was, you know, in disrepair, and the walls had fallen down, and it really was bothering him, it was, it was really burdening him, and his face got long, and he couldn't crack a smile. And the king said to him, what's wrong? Where's the smile? You know, what's, what's going on here? And then he told him. And the king says, well, I'll tell you what. I want you to go back to your holy city, and I want you to start rebuilding it, and I'll give you all the materials you need. And he sent them back. And he became governor of Judea for 13 years. A governor. Secular job. Serving the purposes of God. And he began to reestablish Jerusalem. He began to build the broken down walls out of the old burnt stones that were there. And began to reform the people and show them the law of Moses and get them back again to worship and truly he was there for 13 years. You know, so there's, 
there's all kinds of ways and all kinds of places that we can serve the Lord. And so this full-time thing, just get that out of your head. It will only be ever a minority will ever be in that position. The biggest majority will never be in this position, but you can serve God as effectively and truly as anybody behind this pulpit. If that's what God has called you to do, do it with everything that's within you, and he will bless you for that. What about those who really desire to be in full-time ministry? Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Be diligent, be productive, be faithful until he opens the door. And God has a timing for everything and for everybody. So just be patient. God called Samuel when he was just a temple attendant, a wee boy. And yet God called him. God called David when he was a keeper of sheep. God called Saul when he was out looking for his father's asses. God called Elisha when he was in the fields plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's when Elijah came and put the mantle over him. God called Peter and Andrew and James and John when they were fishermen, when they were washing their nets. God called Luke when he was a doctor, a physician. Very often, very often, God will place, and I'm talking now about what we call full-time ministry, as you understand it. Very often, God will place you under somebody else's ministry as a time and a place to serve and to learn and to grow. Luke 16 and 10 and 12, Jesus said, if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And so just about everybody I know today in quote-unquote full-time ministry has been under somebody else's authority until God gave them a position of their own. And that's good, that's fine. Just a few weeks ago at our men's meeting, we had Richard Gunning. And you remember what he said when it came to missionaries? Because he does great missions all over the world. He said there's three types. There's the foot missionary. That's the one who goes. But not everybody's going to go. Not everybody can go. But then he says there's the knee missionary. That's the ones who pray for the ones who go. And then he says that the hand missionary, those are the ones who give for those who go. So there's always a way, isn't there? There's always a way that you can help, that you can serve God in whatever capacity he sees fit. Let's look quickly at adaptability and service. Adaptability. You've got to be adaptable to serve the Lord. <coughs> what do I mean by that? Well, Eliezer... He went from doing something ordinary to something extraordinary in a moment. In one moment, when Abraham said, go and find a wife for my son. You see, every day for years, he was the head over Abraham's household. He looked well to everything Abraham had, his herds, his flocks, his servants, his people. And he did that every day, and he did it exceptionally well but it was routine to him. He could do it blindfold. Every day he did this. But then suddenly, one day, 
He was taken from doing what to him was the ordinary to the extraordinary. And suddenly, he had the biggest task in his life to find a bride for his master's son. If God sees us faithful in the ordinary, it could be someday he could ask you to do the extraordinary, something beyond your comfort zone. <laughs> we all have our comfort zone, haven't we? Haven't we? Yes. We all have our routines that we know well and we can handle that and we're comfortable with that and then suddenly God says, but what about this? Mm, don't know about that. I'm not comfortable with that. Mm, not too sure about that. It's a bit scary, that. But sometimes God just gives us that nudge or that nod or whatever. And suddenly we find ourselves challenged like we've never been challenged. But if it is the Lord, if it's his command, then he'll find a way for us to do it for his glory. Stephen went from the soup kitchen to signs and wonders. That's a big step up, isn't it? From the soup kitchen to signs and wonders to becoming a mighty evangelist. But wait a minute. He was in the soup kitchen. He was serving as a deacon in the soup kitchen. And he was faithful to do that. Never complained. It was something that had to be done. He was asked to do it. He did it. But then suddenly God says, that time's over. Now there's this. He became a great evangelist. The 12 disciples went from being followers to being leaders. Not overnight. They went from being under authority to being in authority. Sometimes you have to be under authority before you be in authority. And that's what happened to them. Somebody said, if you're too big to be led, you're too little to lead. Old Vance Havner, an old Baptist preacher in America many years and years ago, <laughs> he said that some people, they think that they're an eagle in a hummingbird's nest. <laughs> in other words, they get to the stage where they're so puffed up, they think, I'm the man of God of power for the hour, and I'm going to kill dead things. <laughs> and they think this place is too small for me. I'm an eagle, and this is a hummingbird's nest. And then they go out there, and they find they're not an eagle at all. <laughs> you're too big to be led. You're too little to lead. Itinerant ministry is it's a different kettle of fish. Because you never know in itinerant ministry what you're going to face, what your next meeting you're going to is going to be like, how you're going to be received, what will be the conditions when you get there? How will you be treated? In 38 years of ministry and more, over 40 years of ministry, I'm still shocked sometimes when itinerant ministries tell me privately how they have been treated. You would not believe it. And that's by the church. Honestly. You wouldn't believe it. You know, and you understand a tenant ministry, that's, that's your living. That's your living. That, the, the only income you're ever going to have is what people will give you out of the goodness of their heart. And sometimes, a lot of times, it's not very much. <laughs> it really isn't. 
you would be amazed. I got a letter in my, I don't know how I ever got this letter. And I'll not even tell you who it is. But it's just the principle. I got a letter in the post one day and I opened it up. It was addressed to me, so I opened it up. When it opened up, it wasn't for me at all. It was for another church leader. And it was written by an itinerant minister. An itinerant ministry said to this church leader, I spent a whole Easter weekend with you. And is this, is this what you're giving me? And when I read what it was, I shook my I said, no, it must be a mistake, but it wasn't. <laughs> and here's a man depending with a family. And he was given a pittance <laughs> for a whole Easter weekend ministry several times a day. You would not believe it. He's still serving the Lord, by the way. He didn't give up that. But he wanted that guy to know, hey, listen, this is not the way. You know, the head of what used to be, well, he, he's dead now, but he was the head of the Elam. Winless. Uh, uh, when, Elam pastor told me, he says, there was, a, there was this Elam church in England. And he says, the treasurer had a reputation of being really, really tight. Tight as the bark of a tree. And he says, when Lewis heard about this, and he treated every minister that came through abominably. So he says, when Lewis heard about this, and as the superintendent, he went to this church, knowing what would happen. So after he preached, at the end of it, this wee man comes and says, well, Brother Lewis, what do you think I should give you today? And when Lewis says, he put his hand out, he says, just put it there, brother. So he took this envelope out and he put a fiver on. When Lewis, keep going. <laughs> and he put it on, keep going. And he kept him going until the envelope was empty. And he said to him, he says, never ever in your life again ever do that with any pastor or evangelist or minister that comes through this church. He says, you're a disgrace. <laughs> and they never had any more bother after that. <laughs> that was the type of Wendell Lewis, by the way. <laughs> he, he didn't suffer fools gladly. He took no prisoners. But having said all of that, Paul says in Philippians 4, I am content whether I have much, whether I have little, whether I'm hungry, or whether I'm full. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. By the way, itinerant ministers have learned that God is their source. And even though they're treated abominably some places, God will make that up somewhere else. He'll make it up somewhere else. You all know uh, the guy that carried the cross for years in America, Arthur Blessed. I don't know if you've ever seen the program about his life story. It would make you weep. He's carried this cross in every nation of the world. He even carried up the Falls Road in Belfast and the height of the troubles, him and his son. And he says he was in Africa. He had walked for days and he was tired, he was hungry, and he had nothing. And he says, I saw a sign up in this building, Mission House, and I thought, praise God, thank you, Lord. <coughs> Knocked on the door, and this man came out. He didn't know him from Adam. Saw him with a big cross. Can I help you? He says, yes, my name is Arthur Blessed. He says, I travel all over the world with this cross, testifying for Christ. Could you please, I'm tired, I'm hungry, could you please put me up for the night? And the man says, no, you're not a missionary, and shut the door. <laughs> <laughs> he says, he actually shut the door in my face. 
And he says, I walked away and says, Lord, I'm, I'm just, he says I was nearly in tears. I thought, Lord, how could anybody do this? But he says, I got up the road and there was somebody else who met me and he took care of every need I had. I wouldn't like to be that wee man standing at the judgment seat of Christ saying he turned away the man who's walked the world with a cross, would you? But anyway, I've digressed. Quickly, availability and service. Matthew 20, there's the parable and how that the man the, the, who had the, the vineyard, and he went out to the marketplace to look for workers, because in those days, casual workers stood in a certain place in the marketplace, like a town square, and so anybody looking for casual workers, that's where they found them. So he went out, it says, in the early hour, which would be about six o'clock when the sun just got up, and he got some workers. Then he went out in the third hour, at nine o'clock, and then the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and then the eleventh hour. Still hadn't got enough workers. And so come the eleventh hour, there's only about one hour left to work. And he says, why are you standing here idle all the day? And they says, well, nobody's offered us a job. He says, well, I'm offering you a job. Now, the first lot, at the early ones, they struck a deal with them for a denarius a day. Some translation says a penny a day, and that seems very, not much. But in those days, that was a day's pay for a Roman soldier. So that was good money, actually. A denarius a day was good money. And so they made the bargain with him. But the rest didn't bargain. He says, look, I'll give you a good deal here. I, I'll, I'll bless you. And they says, well, whatever seems good. But when it came to the end of the whole day, the ones who made the bargain wasn't pleased with the ones who only want the R because the householder paid everybody else the same. Even though the ones at the start worked for 12 hours and the ones at the 11th only worked one hour from sunset to sundown, they just worked one hour, they got the same money as the ones who worked the 12 hours. And they were livid. They were angry. And they went and they gave off. And he says, listen, it's my money. I can pay whatever I like. If I want to pay him the same as you, well, that's my business. You made a deal with me. I didn't cheat you. That's what you wanted. That's what you got. But they trusted me. So I'm just going to give them what I want. But notice, someone out in the early hour, someone out in the middle hours, someone out in the late hours. And some of us, depending on our age, depending on when we came to Christ, depending when we're able to be in a position to serve, some of us started early. Some of us started middle life, and some started later in life. But listen, God gave them, or the man gave them all the same, and God will give us what is good in his sight. And he's a gracious God, and he's a good God, and he will not shortchange us. And even if you start late in life, it doesn't matter. And that's your opportunity. Even if you start late in life, God will bless and God will make it up to you and he'll bless you. Anointing for service. I'm going quickly. The, what is the anointing? It's the Holy Spirit's ability to empower you and to equip you for whatever service he appoints you to. And whatever service may be, we need equipped by the Holy Spirit to do what we do. Jesus in Luke 4 
after he had come out of that 40 days fasting in the wilderness and the temptations, he came out and he went to the synagogue. And he picked up the scroll of his eye and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and so forth and so on. He was appointed, but now he says, I'm anointed to do this. If God appoints you, he will anoint you. If God asks you to do something, he'll give you the ability to do it. You may not feel you have it. You may say, Lord, well, I, I lack this ability. Don't worry. If he's asking you, he'll give you the ability. Now, all of us has got natural abilities, and he'll use these all day long. But then there's all abilities that we don't have, and God will give you the ability to do things you thought you couldn't do because of the anointing that God gives to do this. Oil is often a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Samuel 9, Samuel anointed Saul with oil. 1 Samuel 16, Samuel anointed David with oil. 1 Kings 1, Zadok the priest anointed Solomon with oil. 1 Kings 19, Elijah anointed Jehu and Elisha with oil. Three people were anointed with oil in the Old Testament, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Let me go quickly. In Exodus 29, 21, and you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his sons' garments with him. What was the, what was the purpose of anointing the garments? The garments were the symbol of the office they held. Even today, in certain denominations, where, where, where ministers wear vestments. If you belong to a certain denomination, you'll probably know them better than I do. Depending on what rank they hold within that denomination, there's certain vestments that show that right up to mitres and all the rest of it. But that's what it's for, to, to show that office that they hold. And so in those days, the anointing was for the office that they held, prophet, priest, or king. And that anointing was for that. And they received this to stand because when the clothes was anointed with the oil, that means they were standing in that office. And that was the office that God gave them that was the office that would suit them. That was the office that was made for them. Let me just show you something for a close. Let me take my coat off. It's very rare you see that, isn't it? I said to somebody one day, I'm going into the hospital next week. So what for? I said, to get an operation to get my coat off. <laughs> Gary, could I borrow your coat for me, sir? I'm not going to put oil on it. <laughs> it's too good. And let me see how this coat fits me. <laughs> Slightly big, isn't it? When Gary and us was in, in, in Israel last year, I told you that my luggage didn't arrive. And the first night I had to sleep in his T-shirt. I was like, wee willy winky. <laughs> it was down to my knees. <laughs> He's a big guy, isn't he? So that coat's no good. Oh, that's a lovely jacket, thank you. 
Christopher, where's your coat, son? Oh, look at this. That's a good coat. That's a 10-year-old coat, isn't it? Do you think I could, do you think I could get this on? Would you help me get it on? Do you think you could get it on? Yes. Oh, I've got one arm on too. Can you can you get the other arm on? Oh. Oh no 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 no! I don't that. I don't think that's going to work. I think that's too small, isn't it? Yeah. So what I've got to do? I've got to wear this coat because this is the only one that fits me, isn't it? It's the only one that fits me, especially for me. And the prophet and the priest and the king had garments that fitted them, that was for them. And whatever your service is for the king, there'll be a coat that fits you, especially for you, tailor-made for you. And after a while, you'll feel comfortable in it. You'll not be looking down and saying, this is too big, this, or this is too small. It's just made for me. I better close. There's much more, but I better close. As well as having the anointing with oil, in Exodus 29, and you shall also take another ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put on their hands on the head of the ram, so they're identifying with this. And you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of the right foot and sprinkle the blood in the altar. So as well as the anointing of oil, there's anointing with blood on the right ear. The tip of the right ear had to be anointed with blood, symbolizing hearing God, hearing from heaven getting God's instructions. The right thumb symbolizing working for God. Working for God. The right big toe walking with God. And the blood had to be applied. The blood is a sanctifying thing. So there had to be sanctified ears, sanctified hands, sanctified feet to serve the Lord. Not just any way we feel, but it had to be covered by the blood. The right ear, the blood in the ear speaks of sonship. The right thumb working for God speaks of stewardship. The right big toe walking with God speaks of fellowship. And so we're anointed and we're sanctified to serve the Lord if you're a believer. So there's been attitudes for service, avenues of service, adaptability in service, availability to service, anointing for service. So all of us, in whatever capacity, however young or however old we are, we can find a way to serve the Lord. There's that wee boy I just tried his coat on. He's a wee witness in his school. He has led other boys to Christ. He's only 10. He's starting early, isn't he? And some of you can start later. Doesn't matter how late, you can start and serve the Lord and be available for whatever way he wants to use you. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege, what an honor it is not just to be saved, 
but to serve you. To find a way, Lord, that we can enhance your kingdom. Because, Lord, we want to be kingdom builders. And so help us, Lord, in these days that lie ahead, these last days that we're living in, whatever time, Lord, is allotted to us in these days, help us, Lord, to be fervent in spirit and serving you with our energy and our life and whatever abilities you've given us and whatever abilities, Lord, you want to give us, help us, Lord, to serve you with all of our hearts and bless your kingdom. And so we give you thanks, Lord, for servant hearts today. Lord, for this congregation, Lord, who, who so many, Lord, does so much. And some, Lord, over so many years they've done it. And Lord, you have a reward for them. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.